Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Hey, everybody, it's Hugh Blue and Russell. Welcome. Welcome, Russell. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Nonprofit Exchange, a program where we can bring in thought leaders to talk with you about ways that you can get more done, less effort, and better results by putting systems in the place. Uh, and that's what Center Vision Leadership Foundation is here to help you do. We've got a remarkable guest on today who will talk with us about cause-based marketing for businesses and how partnering with nonprofits is good for your bottom line. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, the people watching can see this, but the people listening on the podcast, uh, Russell doesn't have hair on top of his head, but he seems to have some on the front of his face. So you're growing a new new beard, are you? Well, yeah, I think I lost my razor here, but that's okay. All of the gray, I'm told, makes me distinguished, but I think that's from people that just want to make me feel better. That's right. That's right. You've earned, all, you've earned every gray one. So um, we have a gentleman from uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida area with us today that I met a couple of months ago and was immediately impressed with his, his passion for the work he does, his experience, his wisdom, and a vast amount of knowledge in a number of areas, but we're going to focus on this um, bringing value to nonprofits while bringing value to your business. So, uh, Andrew Felix, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Well, thanks, Hugh. I appreciate that uh, warm welcome of, uh, I guess I can say I do do a few different things, uh, but you are right with the, the nonprofit side of things. That's where I, I learned a lot of things over the past, I would say, 15, 16 years of being in different ones and understanding that each nonprofit is different. And there's a lot of people out there that believe that all nonprofits are the same. Uh, that's definitely not true. They all have different missions. They all have different goals. They all have different ways of using their dollars. Um, so everybody should just make sure that they understand exactly. Uh, and we'll get into that, but the exactly the nonprofit and why you're supporting it, making sure it's what you want it to support. One of our guests recently gave us a new term instead of a, a for-profit business, it's a for-purpose enterprise. And so we sure. kind of like that. So tell people about Andrew Felix. Give them a little background about who you are and how you ended up doing what you do today. And you, you work with nonprofits, but you also have a business and a publication. Yeah, I worked in uh, nonprofits. I worked for uh, Junior Achievement and also the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation for many years. Uh, and then was in the PR marketing realm of things with uh, Consumer Electronics and then jumped out of that to get into the medical cannabis, or some people say medical marijuana, um, I guess field industry, as we want to talk it here in, uh, in Florida, which is growing uh, more rapidly than any other state did when they started their medical realm of things. So, uh, and meeting a lot of, uh, and you know, I've met uh, a few nonprofits in the space right now, one being uh, Mission Zero, who we're both uh, working with uh, in the cannabis industry and the vet veterans industry. So really took everything I learned from nonprofits to the cannabis industry and doing my business, but also joining with nonprofits because I had such a passion to see nonprofits want to grow and raise money. So you've, you've had, um, and just talking to you for about 30 minutes at a Starbucks there in uh, Fort Lauderdale, I determined quickly that you had a, a depth of experience. And, and we're going to focus today on um, marketing dollars that businesses use. Now, there's a lot of reasons that businesses write a check for a nonprofit. Some are good and some are not. So I'm going to, part A of this is what, what's the motivation for a business to write a check? And then part B of this is what kind of results um, should we help them create? Because I'm sure the nonprofit uh, as well as the business, doesn't really have a model of how they can get an ROI on that investment. So let's do the first part. What are the motivations, good and bad, for businesses to fund a nonprofit? Well, I think the big thing with nonprofits and uh, corporations or some people funding us 
is the idea of an event is, is just like somebody going to a networking event, but they need to kind of use those events as that networking event. It isn't just, you know, a party, fun time, so forth. You're paying the money and it should be used for not only giving back to the charity, of course, and there's a tax deduction and so forth, but if you're already giving the money, utilize that in the nonprofit way of saying, hey, it's a golf tournament or a gala or it's a bowling tournament or a walk. Work as a networking event too. Don't just go or just give the money and not use it in that realm of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, what do businesses not know about how to get mileage out of those dollars? What, what, what's missing from their knowledge bank? Well, I think there's a lot of companies out there that, you know, a lot of people ask them to give the money for the nonprofit or for the event. Like I said, the galas, the golf tournaments. And right away, they look at the idea of what the charity is and what the charity is about, which is a very big decision. But they also should look at who is going to be at that event too. You know, is it going to be, are we spending the money for the charity to raise money? Great. How can we make the best out of the event? So uh, example, if it's a golf tournament, great. We have a foursome. So do we make sure that our top CEO and our marketing and our VPs are on that foursome? The answer is yes, because they're the ones that are going to speak to your company the best. Don't just send your sales guys to sell your product. Put your top people in this, in the limelight of these nonprofits. The nonprofits want to talk to CEOs because they want a longer term relationship. The goal on that is not just to say, I want that 20,000 or that $10,000 check for the golf tournament. That executive director, that nonprofit wants to meet the CEO, build the relationship, have them come to not the golf tournament, but just also the gala that six months later or the walkathon, have a team in the walkathon. And these smaller events, i.e. the walkathons, the bowlathons, um, maybe the, the bartending events, whatever the smaller events are away from the galas are then going to be the ones that you get your whole company involved. In. But if you're spending twenty twenty five thousand dollars $25,000 on title sponsorships, you should make sure that that CEO has that day blocked off to be at that event, to make sure he's representing that company. And I've seen a lot of nonprofits that go, yeah, yeah, we sponsored it. We gave 25,000. Great. Um, yeah, we'll try to make it. Appreciate it. You know, make sure you use the money right, which is fine. But if you want in six months when the CEO says, here's the marketing budget, you spent $100,000. What was our ROI on that? I see you play some ads, you donated the charity, you went to this event, you went to that event. What'd you get out of it? What was the largest event? Well, we spent 25,000 in the sponsorship of this golf tournament. Wonderful. Who did we meet? And a lot of people don't do that. And they should. Like the member, if you're spending that much money, the CEO shouldn't ask you when he sees your marketing budget at the end of the year and goes, wow, you spent this much money. I remember that 25, that sponsorship, that title. That was the best event I've been to all year. I want to make sure that we are sponsored that next year. That's what the nonprofit wants to hear later on when the director of marketing calls them and goes, hey, just went over the budget. By the way, our director loved your golf tournament. He wants to make sure we're a sponsor next year. That is the end goal of it all. If he doesn't, and you have to remind him, hey, do you remember playing with this guy? No, no, it was at this golf club. No, no, and you have to keep reminding him. I don't think personally it was worth your money then. And I think that I think the other big thing is everybody's gonna remember is you have to differentiate the idea of personal and business when you spend those dollars. Like if the charity is a personal effect to yourself or your CEO, that's fine. That's great. But also look at you're spending the money through the company, utilize those dollars because they are marketing dollars. So to your point there, um, there are different pockets that the companies dip into for writing checks. You just talked about marketing money and, and it's a carefully defined ROI. We're going to spend these dollars. We want eyeballs. We want relationships. We want leads. Um, something like that. Now the nonprofit has to be careful that there's not a call to action, that there's uh, 
product, a good example is look at uh, NPR or listen, I mean, PBS, listen to NPR, and they say for more information, go here. Correct. Really good information about the brand. So we've got sponsors. Now, sometimes companies write a sponsor check and it's really a donation because it comes out of their philanthropic giving budget. Mm-hmm. So it's a different thing. They might call it a sponsorship, but it's really a donation. A true sponsorship is just what you were talking about. The company wants their brand associated with your nonprofit, which is a good brand. And the synergy of those brands brings value to both sides. The nonprofit um, gets the money so they can do a successful event and impact people's lives. The business gets name recognition and possibly, well, if the right people are there, you build relationships. That's the heart of it. Yeah. And then the third pocket, now, organizations like my foundation, Center Vision Leadership Foundation, um, then there's a pocket of training money people use to spend for CEOs to, or top leaders to attend events. So um, there, there would seem to me, um, Andrew, that there's, uh, there's a sales side of this, but there's also an, a management side to manage the, the, the event for the sponsor to make sure they get what's written into that. Now, do sponsor documents... Um, there's probably different kinds, but do they articulate what kind of signage, how many impressions, are there emails? Should a good sponsor agreement have some some uh, mechanisms, some rubrics in there to measure? Yeah, I think in, uh, you know, your galas, your golf tournaments and so forth, because those are your top events, you know, that people are doing or fishing tournaments down here in Florida. If you're taking the title sponsor, you know, you've got the paragraph inside of there that says you're getting one foursome or four people on a boat or four dinner tickets, full page program. It lines out everything you're getting. Does it say you're going to get this many impressions, this such and such, this such and such? I don't think I've ever seen a nonprofit do that, but that doesn't mean that somebody's not saying in their thing, you'll be put on our website that gets this much traffic. You'll be in our newsletter that gets this many emails distribution. Um, There'll be TV coverage of the event. I think that's going to be an after effect if um, when there's a recap of the event sent. But like you said, it goes back to the company saying what they spent those dollars from. And you said, like you said, there's different pockets. There's marketing dollars. There's uh, charity dollars or philanthropy dollars. And then there's, you know, the leadership dollars. So, if the money comes out of that charity dollars, do they care? Or, but then again, then there's the marketing dollars. The marketing dollars, the answer is yes. But some companies, the marketing and charity dollars are together. You know, some are together and they go, well, you know, we'll divide them out at the end of the year and figure out exactly where we spent the money. But my whole opinion is, is if you still spend that money as a sponsorship or a donation, if you donate that money to charity and you say to them, this is going to research, this is going to care, and it's not going for any event, that check should be written, given to the charity, and so forth. If you're, if you're asked for an event and you give a donation, and out of that donation you become a title, presenting, gold, whatever sponsor, even though it comes out of the charity account, you still as a company should take advantage of that and use it for an ROI purpose. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. there's still parts of that, obviously, that you get a tax write-off for. But the things that you, like you said, the things that you get a use out of, so if it's a golf tournament, the golf cost, the dinner cost, the golf shirt cost, the golf hat, anything that you get is taken off. But anything else is still a tax write-off for a company. Well, and we want to go after advertising dollars because there's a limit on how many philanthropic dollars a company can spend. Um, right. And there's really no limit on marketing dollars. And really, the, the, the bottom line is they're both deductible because you're deducting the expenses of advertising from your, your profit. And, and, but it's, purpose, it's purposeful expenditures. It's, it's, and so if I, um, I accept sponsor dollars, I want to interview, and I'm going to toss it to Russell here. He's really good about about asking people what do they expect, and 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 so there's a there's a conversation around what would the uh, what would the benefactor of the sponsor like to see happen, 
in a donor, they want to see impact on people's lives. Um, a sponsor, they want that, but they're all, they're interested in what we're doing, but they're also interested in, in furthering their impressions, their brand recognition in the community. Now, Russell, um, you work with, um, you, you work with a lot of nonprofits, a lot of nonprofits and have for years on funding. So why don't you, uh, you pipe in here and give us some illumination and then do you have some questions for our, our guest? All right, yeah, you know, what we're talking about here is a value for value exchange. And it's up to nonprofits to communicate the value that they provide. That's part of the programs that I offer is to try to talk about how you do that. And it really, it's a conversation, it's a two-way conversation. But on both sides of that conversation, you have to look at what it is that you want to get out of the relationship. It needs to be something that's win-win. Sponsorship is a value for value exchange. And a lot of it is confused with donations. So nonprofits have to understand what value they offer. Uh, Does the business want to connect with their audience? Do they want to create goodwill? What sort of returns are you looking for? So that involves an involved conversation right up front, you know. And it's, it starts with nonprofits going out and seeking businesses that uh, align with some of their values. And it starts the same way for businesses. They have to understand what a good project for them looks like. And it's about finding that alignment uh, and reaching out to people who are more aligned with you and then starting a conversation. Yeah. I, I don't think it serves to, to just throw a proposal out in front of a, a potential sponsor uh, in the blind. It's looking for somebody that may align with you and then maybe writing a letter and saying, would you be open to a conversation? And from that point, after you have that first conversation and everybody's sort of on the same page with some of the goals they want to get out of a potential match, the nonprofit requests an opportunity to send a proposal. And from there, you look at stuff that's measured. But it, yeah, it's all about relationship building and, and doing good and, and being able to get out there. And we have a lot of marijuana businesses here in Colorado <laughs> because we've moved uh, beyond the medical realm into the recreational realm. These folks have a lot of dollars that are sitting around. And there are some nonprofits that are afraid to take this money because they think there's some sort of stigma attached to it. Uh, And so what would you say to those businesses in particular about finding ways to connect with nonprofits to assuage some of these fears uh, to help work around that stigma so that they can actually contribute to the community in effective ways? I mean, I would say that the big thing is, I understand the the stigma thing, because we have the stigma thing here in Florida where everybody thinks a dollar that goes through a dispensary is drug money in a way. I mean, that's, you know, that's the way people look at it. But you have to remember too that even dollars in Colorado, California, where it is adult use or recreational use, that they still pay taxes on it. So... For a nonprofit to go, well, I'm not sure that's the money I want to touch. Well, you're, they're still paying taxes, they're still giving money to the government. So why is it not good for yourself? Um, and they want to give the money. Now, is it going to be handed to you in cash? I don't know. I mean, is that you know the stigma that everybody thinks it's going to be a stack of hundreds handed to you for a sponsorship? It could be, but I think a nonprofit should look at it like money is money, as long as it's the the paperwork is done correctly. The classifications of it are done correctly to the nonprofit and the corporation. And all the, you know, the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. As long as that is done, I, I don't see why a nonprofit should be worried about it. It's money. Yeah. And a lot of the tax revenue, particularly here in the city of Aurora, some of that tax revenue has been deployed toward helping the homeless. And we've got a big problem with homeless out here. So, you know, it's really sort of spreading that message that it's okay 
Uh, but it takes a while to change people's minds, I believe. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as long as the business has those goals in mind and the nonprofit thinks about how businesses measure that value, what would motivate a business? What type of business? Who are the people that you should reach out to? And there are different people within the organization. It may be a marketing person. It may be somebody in the philanthropy office. So it's identifying the right person to contact to start that conversation can be a little bit of a challenge. It can be. And some of the um, animal growers, dispensaries, and so forth in the cannabis space, a lot of those companies are small companies right now. Some are big, but I would say handful are big. The rest are small, not going to say mom and pop, but less than 10 employees, you know, kind of thing. So would I say your first email or phone call should be to the CEO? Depends. Depends on the relationship. If you've met him at an event, of course. If you've never met him and they have a vice president of marketing or vice president of branding or and so forth, then reach out to them. You know, if you don't get a response from them, then go to, you know, go higher up. But give them the opportunity because, you know, there are these marketing people, and I have to say down here in Florida, have a hard job. You know, it sounds awful. It sounds weird to say, but these marketing people and advertising people, they have this budget. They have this money that they have to spend. And it's, it's weird to say this, but they don't know where to spend it or how to spend it. And it's nothing against them. It's the laws that are limiting them on spending this money or knowing where they can give the money and so forth. So if the nonprofit can help them by going, Hey, I know you're having an issue or I know you have to, you know, spend so much money on education or you have to spend so much money on learning or so or whatever it is. And you can say, by the way, we're doing these events, this words can help you. And this is the way we do it. You don't need to worry about the government or the money and so forth. This is how we can do it. Then they're more open to it. But if you just reach out blindly and say, Hey, we're doing a golf tournament. Love for you to be a you know golf cart sponsor. They're going to go, well, how does that help? Like they're going to be confused, but if you like, you know, like uh, we were talking and Russell was talking was if you give them, if you talk to them first, figure out what they want and then create a sponsorship level or proposal based on that, because the one thing you don't want to do is give them a proposal that says your ROI is, you know, you'll get coverage um, on TV. You get great coverage on TV. And you find out by talking to them that they could care less about TV. Their biggest thing is they want a feature picture of their CEO in the newspaper. That's what it needs. Well, if you don't offer that to them, you know, they're not going to do anything. And with an event, you have a lot of different properties or Mm -hmm. things that can be sponsored, you know. Could it be maybe a 19th hole sort of meet and greet that they sponsor? Uh, do they want naming rights on the tournament? Uh, do they want uh, want to be on your website? And when it comes to social media, how big is your following and so on and so forth? What kind of goodwill do you need to create? So it's a question of both sides of, of the equation, folks figuring out what's important to them uh, and what they want to try to accomplish and see if there's some synergy between them, if they're going to get that value from one another and basing the conversation on that. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if, if there are businesses, there's some that, that are really into cause-based marketing and some are figuring it out. So when, when you approach uh, the profit-making businesses, having worked with, with nonprofits, what are some of the markers you recommend that they look to to determine what type of ROI that they get after you've had a conversation with them? Well, I would say the first thing that this person should do approaching a for-profit company is do your research on the company. Um, If you take a a nonprofit that involves the lungs, uh, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation and so forth. Well, if you're a vape or smoke shop, the CF person shouldn't go target that company. Even if they've got millions of dollars and have told you, I'm willing to donate. I want to sponsor your event and 
your tie sponsorship is 20 grand. They're coming to you and they're like, Hey, we want the title, but we want give you 40 grand, 20 for the event and 20 as a donation. And trust me, the, the, the event people and the business development people at nonprofits, a lot of them get excited when that happens. They're like, wow, we're going to get $40,000. That's the greatest thing. And they don't think about the company it's coming from. And then they've got to backtrack a lot. And I think that's the first thing. So I would say research the company you're going to talk to. Um, and also, you know, understand when you get a lead, who that company is. That person might be like, they might, it might be a, you know, a smoke shop, but they might go, well, we're thinking about the CBD side of things. And they need to come right off the bat and go, we want to work with you. This is how we're going to work and have a plan. So like if I'm a, a nonprofit, I'm going to a for-profit company. When I go to that meeting, I'm going in with my vision for that event and them involved. So if it's a restaurant, I'm going with the vision of, all right, we're going to have on the ninth hole and the 18th hole, we're going to have a table. We're going to have food set up for you. At the end of it, we're going to have food set up. Uh, we're going to have breakfast for them. I'm not going to walk in and go, hey, I'd love for you to be the food sponsor. Oh, well, how do you see it? Well, I'm not sure yet. Let me, I'll figure that out and let you know. Because sometimes you only get one chance with these guys. And when I say one chance, you should walk in there with a proposal based on your idea, ready to be signed. Mm -hmm. Because if they love your idea, you have it in front and go, you love that idea, great. Here's the proposal, love for you to sign it. Let's get started on it. Because if you go, all right, I'll put that in writing. I'll come back, I'll send it to you. You've lost them. You've lost them for a good two, three weeks of getting that commitment. So these are universal principles. We've honed in a little bit on the, the, the cannabis marijuana market, but you've got, you mentioned CBD oil mm -hmm. and hemp products. That's legal in all, everywhere. All 50 states, yeah. Right, and that does not have the, um, what's the, the chemical that's the hallucinogen? It has, uh, has 0.03% of THC. As long as it has uh, less than that, it's considered legal in the States. Okay. There are a lot of um, medicinal benefits, and there's been a lot of research, and I notice on, on CBD oil especially, and there's different formulations of medical marijuana. Russell and I have some ladies we know in Denver that have 50 or 60 formulations of uh, mm -hmm. healthy, healthy supplements that help people heal. So the particular project we connected on is this Mission Zero, where they're addressing veteran suicide. And uh, Russell and I are both veterans, and every 72 minutes, a veteran commits suicide in this country, 20-something uh, a day. And it's, it's a crisis. Um, but they're creating a whole program around that. And, and Alex, um, Andrew, sorry, we, um, um, I did a contraction of Andrew and Felix, Alex. <laughs> so that was a, that's my age and mental condition. Sorry, Russ. Um, so uh, we're, we got connected on an event that you've got some experience on. You've worked with different Rotary clubs and different nonprofits. Mm -hmm. um, and the particular event that, that, that you're helping with is a golf tournament. And you really know your stuff here. But, but it's not about a bunch of guys going to play golf, guys and girls. It's, it's about right. relationships. And, and I see this as a, a strategic move for them because um, they're going to create relationships with a lot of high rollers and people of influence. So mm -hmm. let's back up and talk about what's the value uh, for a charity doing an event like this and what's the value for businesses to support an event like that and social clubs like Rotary's. Well, I think the big thing is, is when a nonprofit does an event and we talk about a, a golf, a golf event, uh, if anybody ever plays golf, they know it's a foursome. There's four players in a, in a, on, on a team or, you know, they're playing on a team and they're going most of the time they're playing best ball in this tournament where they hit one ball, everybody hits a ball off the tee and they, everybody picks a ball, they play their ball from there, so forth until it gets on the green. But the point is, and I've said this for many years with golf tournaments and there's some companies that agree with it and want to do it. And then there's some companies that don't, when you get a foursome, you go out on the course and you're with your four buddies or your three buddies and you're with them for 18 holes. So you're talking to the same guys, your same company and so forth. 
throughout the, the whole day. You're not, you're not marketing. You're not networking at all during that day. You're maybe marketing at the breakfast before and the lunch after. So what I've said to a lot of companies is if you buy a foursome or you get a foursome that your CEO or your VP comes in place and you invite three clients or three people that work with your company or what I've said to some companies and I've done it a handful of times at the tournament is you buy a foursome, but you really only have two spots in that foursome. And the same thing with somebody else that buys it. You have two spots in one foursome and two spots. In, so you co-mingle the foursomes throughout everybody. So that way the whole 18 holes, you might be talking to somebody, a potential client or somebody that you know or so forth. And you're getting to spend four hours with these people and getting to know them. That's the way I believe you get the best value at a golf tournament. Instead of saying, Hey guys, you know, I bought two foursomes and you guys are one uh, a and one B you tee off right after each other and you follow each other all day and you talk and you drink beer and you have a great time. Great. If you're talking about the same company, but you're not networking on that point. If you want to network at a golf tournament, you split up all the foursomes and you go, even if you have two foursomes, you say, put all eight of my guys on separate teams is the best way. And I think to do it because then you're getting an ROI and you can say each one of my sales guys, seven of them, the CEO and seven sales guys played golf for eight hours with four people the whole time. And they create friendships, leads, network. And I wish more golf tournaments and events would do that. I believe the same thing with the gala. If you're having a gala or a sit down dinner, you have a whole table. Don't fill your whole table with your company. Fill it with customers. Fill it with people you know. Or say, put me at one person at each different table and use that kind of idea. Because it's the best way to get the ROI out of the, the, the money you're spending. That's in addition to the signage. Um, any particular messaging, you know, scripts or verbal presentations or any of the, sometimes the sponsor plays a video at a, at a gala. Um, so there's numerous of ways, but that one, um, I wonder how many people don't think through that one. I mean, I don't think a lot of people, like I said, they think a lot. And like I said, I was a nonprofit for years and the way it worked was I had a title or presenting or something sponsor. And you said to them, the only thing you need from me is I need, your foursome, the four players that are playing, and I need your logo. Thank you. We'll see you at the tournament. That's it. And the company goes, great. I've sent you my four people. I've sent you my logo. Uh, I'll see you at the event. They don't go, so are you guys doing a speech at the lunch? If so, are you mentioning our company? Um, what are the signages? Do we get a T sign on this T sign? Is there a sign or a banner at the, the front with our logo on? Like, they don't ask all these. If you're doing a goodie bag, can I put a pamphlet in there? Like, they don't ask all the questions because they expect the nonprofit to ask them those questions. But I believe if you're getting involved in nonprofits, you should understand how busy they are in their business and go, Hey, by the way, I know we're a title sponsor. Uh, here's our logo. Here's our foursome. Uh, I've got a pamphlet ready to go in your goodie bag. And is there anything else you need from me? That's what you should ask. And it saves the nonprofit and it helps you get more exposure because you're willing to help the nonprofit get it done. So it, it would seem to me that there would be some responsibility on both sides for creating that process. And if, if, a, if a nonprofit wants to have a steady stream of, of sponsors that are continuous, um, then they want to make sure that the sponsor gets good, good mileage from their dollars. Mm -hmm. And so having a checklist of here's the things we need to make sure that we talk about with the sponsor. Um, so, I, yeah, I think businesses have somebody in marketing that should know this. But, but Andrew, I find a lot of people don't. And, and, and like I said, there's a lot. And the marketing people in a lot of these companies, I, I'll say it, are overworked, underpaid. Uh, you know, sometimes they're, you know, they've got five or six events a week. They've got these galas. They've got somebody pulling them about an ad in the paper. They got an ad on the TV. They're pulled in so many directions that, they don't think about the golf tournament until they look on the counter and they realize it's a week away. Oh man, I got to get my foursome together and hopefully they have my logo. That's, that's exactly what happens the last week before a tournament. You get all the names, you get the logos, you're, you're printing signs and you're going from there. And 
I, I believe that with a nonprofit, like I said, I go back and forth, the nonprofit, just making sure you stay in communications with that marketing person, because in the end, you got to remember a lot of times that marketing person is your gatekeeper for future events. And if you make their job easier at your event, they're going to go the next time you come around for that event or another event, they're going to go, Oh guys, it, working with them is so easy. They help us take care of everything. They create our ad on the program. We don't have to worry about anything. So where do, where do nonprofits go to learn how to, ah. that, that's a huge value proposition that that's really it's insurance money that that business is going to want to come back again. How did, where do nonprofits yeah, I mean, learn how to I know, I believe when, you know, when you sign on to a nonprofit, uh, I believe a lot of them do their, you know, wherever their head office is, they'll bring you up there for, I think, two or three days and, uh, you know, spend the money on, you know, training you and so forth. Do they train you that depth and deep into something? I don't know. You know, I, I, I know that they've always said, you know, we'll spend the hour in this training session on nonprofit events. This is, you know, our checklist for a golf tournament. Here's our checklist for this. And sometimes those checklists are make sure you have all the signs, tea signs, food donated, uh, beverages donated, your golf shirts are done. So all that, but it doesn't dive into when it says sponsors, it doesn't dive into making sure you have the logos, you know, is, you know, if you sold that sponsor, you know, uh, wait, you need pin flags. Wait, did somebody order the pin flags? Because sometimes on those title sponsors, you put so much in it to sell it, but you got to make sure that you have it all. And if you miss that one thing, I mean, that one thing, and it could be the flower arrangements on a table with the logo on a band wrapped around it. If you don't have that, they'll call you out on it. And that casts the negative, uh, there's a little negative uh, cloud over the value they've received because they said, well, I didn't get that. It, it really sort of supersedes the other values sometimes, doesn't it? Well, like I said, the small little thing can ruin the rest of the year of getting money from them. So the smallest detail, you know, for example, like if you print a sign and you go to print with a sign, I know it's hard to do, but making sure that you have that email approval from the marketing person, this is the correct logo for the sign. We don't like to use the vertical logo. We like to use the horizontal logo on print. The vertical is more for social and TV. Well, if you put the vertical on print in the mag in the newspaper, or I'm sorry, in the program on the banner signs, on the, the stock board signs and the T sign, and their CEO sees it, the CEO is going to go to the brand manager and go, hey, why are they using that logo? And they're going to go, uh, like you're causing problems for them. They're going to remember that when you come back and ask them for more money. Mm -hmm. So Russell, it's got some bubbling up there. Well, you know, this whole conversation is around the value for value exchange and who wants what. Uh, and that's going to take a little bit of education so, on both sides of the equation uh, to have an idea of what do we want out of our cause-based marketing dollars for the company and how can we provide value to the business on the, on the side of the nonprofit. So that's, uh, those conversations are crucial. Uh, sometimes it takes more than one. Uh, mm -hmm. Certainly if you've got somebody that's ready to go and it's clear, and that happens by homework. You know, I think uh, yeah, a business uh, like a nonprofit has to think about what would be a good fit and how they want to capture value so that when they have this conversation, when they sit down and everybody's clear on what they want and, this is how you determine if it's a good fit and then you can cross all the T's and dot all the I's. So, so Andrew, is there a source where people can, uh, you know, you said the marketing person is typically an underpaid overworked person. Um, that's also true of the nonprofit executive director. That's, that's true in all nonprofit and all levels of, uh, uh, from bookkeeper to development directors to event people to system vice presidents, executive directors, system like all of them, even the presidents of nonprofits, I believe some of them are you know underpaid, overworked. But 
you know, sometimes and streamlining your communication. So I always believed in nonprofits using templates that were easy to fill in, easy for people to check off to forms. So like if you had a sponsor sign up uh, for an event, you would basically send it back a form and here are the 10 things that I need from you and so forth. Please send them to me when you can. Uh, you can send it back to me in this email. I don't care if you overload my email, just send it to me so that we have it. And that could be the logo, their half page ad, their foursome um, and so forth. Getting all that information in one shot, instead of saying, hey, I'm gonna send you an email tomorrow. I just need your logo, great. Two days later, hey, I need to get your program met. Okay, great. All right, now I need to get this. Okay, now I need, and it becomes a lot of work because now you get all these emails coming back and forth, logos coming back and forth, like, and so forth. So there's more chance of a mess up and you don't want that from the logo being wrong at an event to you don't want your CEO walking up to check in at an event and then go, I'm sorry, you're not on our list, but they're the guy that gave you $50,000 and owns this company because the person at the check-in is usually a volunteer that doesn't know what you've gone through, doesn't know what you deal with. So they're the first line of defense to get, you know, the argument from the CEO going, you know, my name is Bob Smith. As you can see, this is Smith Brothers Gala. I'm, I'm Smith. And the person to go, well, okay, hold on. Um, you're not on my list still. Then they're radioing somebody and then they're coming up. And then the, the, not only the marketing person from the Smith company, but the marketing person from the nonprofit comes up and they're so sorry. There's a, and now you've got the CEO upset as soon as he walked in the door. So just making sure you've crushed your T's, as Russell said, cross your T's, dyed your eyes for every little thing. And I'm talking from name tags, a name misspelled to the logo not being right, to the CEO's name not being on the list. Those are things, those are deal breakers, aren't they? Everybody doesn't think about it. Like, if you don't have a name tag with the CEO's name on it, because maybe you didn't think he was coming, print it anyway. Because when he shows up and goes, I didn't tell anybody I was coming, but you got a name tag for me? That's pretty impressive. Like, those little things matter. Or if, like, the C if you're at a golf tournament and the CEO says, hey, I can't make it, but then, you know, at, at the 12th hour, somebody calls you and says, hey – CEO is actually in town. Any chance he can get out there and play golf or he can get out there to the gala, you find a way to put a table out there or you put a golf course in together and you find four people to play with it. Or you say, yeah, I got a foursome, invite four, three people. Well, he doesn't have everybody. No problem. We'll fill it with the, you know, good people to play with. Great. You fill it because he'll remember that more than he'll remember if he was on the list and he was already there, he was at meetings and so forth. He'll know you bent over backwards. He'll thank you at the end. And as soon as you get that thank you, you go, really appreciate all your support. Would love the idea of you being a part of this next year. Yeah, you know what, Andrew? We'll be a part of it. You know, that's, that's I guess you could summarize that as building goodwill. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is. So there's, there's, um, there's so many little things. So, so you got these people, the marketing person and the, and the person that's handling the sponsorship with the nonprofit. It might not be the executive director. It might be the development person. Mm -hmm. And so they're both stressed out, overworked, and maybe they're carrying too many hats, wearing too many hats. So the, the development person might be running the golf tournament, so they're spread thin. So there really needs to be some way to pay attention to these details on the nonprofit side. And so, Russell, what do you what are you thinking? You worked on the inside of a of a of a reservation for years doing funding. Did you did you work out some systems that that were helpful? Well, it is. It's really what what Alex's talking about is to understand access and use tools to keep everybody on track. And what I find is that if a system's complicated, people aren't going to use it. A confused mind always says no. So it's really important to have sort of that understanding uh, of what you want out of that type of thing and, and deciding what does a good value exchange looks like. 
on the side of the business. What is what are the things that we want? Nonprofits have to understand the types of ways that they can provide value that are in line with what the company wants. And so uh, a little bit of it can be a learning process. And it's every bit as difficult, if not more difficult, to figure out how you're going to deploy that money when you're writing a check as it is to get a check or some other type of service. Is it a media sponsorship? Is it, uh, you know, what type of arrangement is it? So many things to think through, but, you know, having good customer service is something that, that needs to be thought through all the way around. Uh, and that's that's been the experience that I've had, you know. Sometimes they work and other times they don't, but it's critical to to look at all of these relationships. And I think I think going back on, on according with Russell with relationships, it's true is because your big thing is is your executive director is your face of your nonprofit. They are the face. They're the person that everybody knows. They're in the, in the community. The mayor knows them. Everybody knows. Them. When your executive director gets to your event, she might not know all the people that you've been dealing with, all the big wigs and all the right people. And the best thing that you can do for her or him, and I've done this for a few events, is you create a flip book or a look book, which has the CEO's picture and other people that you know are going to be there and their name, their title, and maybe a little blurb about them. Like, you know, has two kids, loves, you know, big Florida state fan or big Miami hurricanes fan or, whatever so that the director kind of has that in her back pocket looks and sees oh that's oh that's bob smith i'm gonna go say hi and she walks up go bob bob hi i'm andrew pleasure to meet you uh you know we both went to miami to get like that is better than them walking around going hey can you introduce me to this person i don't know who this per- who who's the big sponsor they know going into the event who they need to make sure they sit and talk to hmm that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through this. It's sort of, um, what do you call that book? A flip book? Either a flip book or a look book kind of thing. It has like a headshot and you can, everybody can get the headshots offline, get all the information about the person offline and it's just create a word document, put them all in there, print them out. So who makes it and who's it for? The nonprofit development director or an intern with the nonprofit Spends, you know, two or three hours. Spending that two, three hours to make the lookbook will in turn make you more money in the end because even if you give it to the people at the front that are standing there greeting people, I mean, can you imagine if you're the CEO of a company and you have a volunteer, a kid volunteer at the front door welcoming people and he sees somebody get out of the car, he looks real quick and goes, oh, that's Bob Smith. He's a CEO. He's a good guy. All right. Closes the book, puts it away. Guy walks in and goes, Hi, Mr. Smith. Thank you so much for being a big part of this event. We really appreciate it. One, he'll be caught off guard. And two, he'll be like, wow, they did their work. This is an organization that we should be a part of. That tip is worth its weight in gold. Oh, yeah. That happened to me recently in an event. Oh, I said, hi, I'm Hugh. I know who you are. <laughs> you know, thank you for being here. And, you know, here's what, let's, this is where you need to be. Here's your name tag. And let me, let me take you over to where they, they're waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell and you, the thing is, Hugh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You'll never forget that. You got it. That made me feel like I, I was important. They thought I was important. So I was important. Mm-hmm. And, and you might be a president of the company and you don't want to go in somewhere where you, you know, you've signed a check or authorized a check that was pretty substantial and people don't have a clue who you are. That is bad. <laughs> That's bad leadership on the side of nonprofit. So we're talking about, um, installing really good business principles into your the, the nonprofit that you run, so it is a it is a tax exempt business really because we got to we got to generate more money than we spend. We call it profit. It's it's cash that we then per- repurpose for the work of the giving impact that we're we're wanting to do for humanity. Um, so you made these books, and the word we haven't said yet is for volunteers, staff, and volunteers. Mm-hmm. So you're, we're working together on this, uh, this golf tournament in Florida. Uh, I said working together. You're the one carrying the weight. I'm, 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 I'm helping with them think about their leadership 
And this is really helpful for me to think about how to support them and the things they need to think about. But um, we also connected with a university in the area and they have a golf school, a college golf, and they have volunteers. And so mm-hmm. one of the big success factors, and you work with rotaries too, I believe, in, in some of this. And mm-hmm. I'm a Rotarian. Here's my, here's my rotary thing. And, yeah. and Russell is an optimist. Um, <clears throat> he also belongs to the Optimist Club. So, um, so there's real value in people that are anchored with common values and common purpose and common passion coming together. So talk about the empowerment engagement of volunteers, if you, if you will, a minute. Yeah, I mean, I think volunteers... If you run a nonprofit or you're part of a nonprofit or you're doing an event for a nonprofit and you think you can do this event without volunteers, find a new line of work. I mean, it's, it's, and if you think you can run an event by yourself, I don't care if it's a, I don't know, uh, a bar, little restaurant networking thing, and you can do it by yourself. Have two or three volunteers there. Most of the time, those volunteers know your nonprofit are affected by what your research is. Sell your nonprofit. So if you're with the American Cancer Society, Breast Cancer, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, um, and so forth, having a patient there or having somebody there that lives and breathes it, you live and breathe it, but you might not be affected by it. Now, if you had a family member affected by it, great. Having somebody there and your volunteers means more in gold to anybody than anything else in the world because they're going to work harder than anybody else. If you've ever been to an event, you've got your five employees from the nonprofit, you've got 25 volunteers. Those 25 volunteers are running laps around your five volunteers because, or five workers because your five workers are, need to spend the time talking to the donors. You know, they need to be out there smooching, talking, hey, thanks so much. Hey, it's great to see you again. They don't have time to sit at the registration table, checking them in, welcoming them, getting their golf bag tag on. They don't, they don't have the time to sit there. They need to be worried about the event becoming amazing and not the stuff that is the face-to-face communication of checking somebody in to giving out a goodie bag to making sure they have water in their golf cart to making sure they have their name tag on that's not their response. I'm not saying it's not their responsibility. It's not their job at an event. That's why you have the volunteers. And like I go back to, if you think you can do an event and you don't need volunteers, you're wrong. We call them servant leaders in our work. We, you know, we a good friend back and then give them an assignment to go with. And mm-hmm. um, I'd like to point out, we're talking about golf tournaments, this particular segment, but really I ran a, I ran a road race two weeks ago. I ran one a month ago. In San Diego, I ran one in Lynchburg, Virginia, where I live. Um, it, and we had um, one of the highest concentrations of elite runners because it's such a tough course. You know, you start out by going a mile downhill, the rest of it's uphill. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, I, and there was one volunteer for every four runners. There was a 1,000 volunteers. And I got to tell you, having people lined up every four or five feet along the median, because we were running out in the four-mile race and the 10-milers had been out and then we're coming back. So they, they were between us, but they had these signs. They were giving us high fives. They were at the water stations. So I was like really, really impressed at the engagement level of every volunteer. And, and so when you're talking about empowering the volunteers, there's a whole program there to, to nurture and to train for success. So Russ is, is, is nodding his head, and I think I cut you off, Russ. We lost you, Hugh, for a second. I said, can you hear me now? Got yes. you now. Okay, Russ was nodding his head, and uh, I think I cut you off, Russ. Well, you know, our, our good friend Daniel Lebal works with donors. And one of the things that she talks about that's critical across the spectrum, and the, the single thing that businesses and nonprofits want to do we want to create an experience for all of the people that are involved with us. When you create an experience for people, they want to stick with you. So what is that experience built upon? 
it, it depends on what the individual volunteers, individual donors, uh, individual supporters, what is it that they want out of it? So the more that you can understand these things, the more value you can provide on all sides. Yeah, and the volunteers that have come out, you know, I just was part of an event with uh, the Special Olympics. And some people don't know what, when they come to this event, what the nonprofit is. Obviously, some people know what Special Olympics is, but some people might not have a clue what cystic fibrosis is. And to talk to somebody, a volunteer that either has a family member with it or has it, is what needs to happen. I don't have it. I don't have a family member have it. But I was able to tell you what cystic fibrosis was. Me telling you what it is, but hearing it from a nine-year-old that has it, as volunteering and is out helping, is more impactful to a donor. And that's where your volunteers are. And got to remember, too, everybody, and I believe in high schools and colleges, maybe even middle schools, maybe just high schools, need volunteer hours you know, to graduate. So if you get along with the sororities and fraternities inside of high schools, or I'm sorry, in colleges, uh, I can't, uh, I can't forget, remember the charity for non or the sorority for non or for cystic fibrosis, but you call up that local chapter in that city or that college and go, Hey, we're doing an event. Any girls or guys that can come up? Oh yeah. We'll send you 25. What day is the event? Because they've dedicated their sorority to that charity and they need the chair, the volunteer hours. So it's just doing the research and we have the ability now with social media. We're on social media right now, but right now that you can put an ask out, need volunteers for this event. Who's willing to help you've got, and then somebody else shares and somebody else shares and somebody else shares. Like you've got the capabilities now more than we had 15 years ago. Finding volunteers 15 years ago was dialing on a phone or sending uh, mail letters hoping to get volunteers. Now it's a lot easier to get those volunteers. That's neat. So um, there's been lots of really helpful information. You know, I, uh, when I met you, I knew you were smart, but you've gone to a different level of, of, of usefulness and helpfulness in this, in this conversation. Um, I'm going to give a short sponsor presentation here because sponsors for CenterVision get ads in the magazine. They get, they get mentions on the podcast. They're on the website. We mention them in email blasts, and we introduce them to high-level uh, high nonprofits personally. Um, and then uh, going to send it back to you, Andrew. What's a parting thought you'd like to leave with nonprofit leaders, a challenge or a thought or a tip? And then Russell will close us out. Our sponsor for this episode is Rock Paper Simple. It's a Florida web company that you don't build a website anymore. You build a manifestation of your brand and you build that experience with people that come together. So it's a web experience, not just a pretty picture. So Joshua Adams and his team are brilliant at branding and brilliant at attracting people to your site and brilliant at engaging them. So if you want to engage your members, you do it in person, but you also want to do it virtually. Rockpapersimple.com forward slash Hugh. There's special offers for people listening to the podcast. Rock papersimple.com forward slash my name, H-U-G-H. So, Andrew, what what is a thought you'd like to leave with people as we wrap up this really great interview? I just think uh, if you're on the nonprofit side of things, just, you know, take, you get excitement when you get that sponsor. Just step back, take your time, really understand the event that you want, envision the event that you want, and the end and know that if you have a perfect event what it looks like and then go find those people from volunteers to donors to sponsors to uh, people in your office that will make sure that that event is what you want and on the side of corporations the same concept find the events that you believe will give you the biggest ROI no matter what dollar amount you're spending or where it's coming from Great stuff. Uh, it's all about relationship building and creating an experience. Andrew, you're brilliant. Yeah, I'd like to have a conversation again with you sometime in the future because there are dollars floating around and you might be the person for folks to talk to to figure out how to deploy them so that they create more impact 
and do more good. And uh, like to thank all of our listeners, wherever they are, uh, replay listeners, uh, uh, you'll find this on the nonprofitexchange.org website. Uh, thanks to Rock Paper Simple for helping us get the message out to each other. Uh, the Nonprofit Exchange is here at every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, where we get thought leaders like Andrew who come and share their experience with us to help you spread more impact in your communities. It's been a brilliant week. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Hugh, again for another marvelous broadcast. Thanks, guys. <laughs>